Hey, y'all. This is Black Fluid Poet, a.k.a. John S. Blake, coming to you live from my humble abode of books in this pandemic paradise that hopefully is soon to end because this quarantine still ain't cute. It doesn't feel necessarily like quarantine because I've been going to work, but there's still an apprehension by friends to hang out together and even though I feel vaccinated, even though I am vaccinated, I don't feel vaccinated because now I'm hearing about how the vaccine doesn't necessarily protect you against the new strains of COVID that have come out. And if I'm around other people that aren't vaccinated, I can still carry the virus to another person. So what the fuck was the point of letting Moderna inject me with this stuff and then feeling sick as a dog for three days if nothing has changed in my life. I just don't know. I just don't know. But I digress. I'm alive another day and I'm grateful for that. And I get to tell y'all some stories and share with you my experiences and I'm also grateful for that. So here we go. I know I sound a little hoarse and I apologize. I just don't drink enough fluids. And to tell you the truth, I am scared to consume anything right now because I've watched two different documentaries about human beings are consuming plastic because it's breaking down in our waters. And now I found out that by 2045, men may no longer be able to produce sperm. So if I were you, I would invest in sperm banks, buy some stock because y'all... Shit is getting real. I just don't know. I really think that this is somehow Mother Nature's way of getting rid of us because we are just fucking over the planet. And Mother Nature got hands, y'all. She ain't playing. She ain't playing. She got rid of them dinosaurs and now she's about to get rid of us. Men are being born. Babies are being born right now with smaller penises because of a chemical in plastic that has been breaking down in our drinking water. Y'all, no sex. Like, sex is going to suck in about 20 years. Like, these new children are just, man, look. And you know, like, <laughs> it is <clears throat> it is a feat of absolute frustration for a trans woman to get surgery. But let me tell you, when all of these men 20 years from now are going to want their penises enlarged, that shit is going to be like a drive through operation. You hear me? These procedures are going to be done like five an hour. So <laughs> trust me, trust what I tell you. As long as men are in charge, penis enlargement is going to be the easiest procedure to get on the planet in two dime years. You hear me? Um, so... This is me avoiding this really tough, tough conversation that I have initiated with some of y'all. Um, you know, the last trigger warning, by the way, in case y'all haven't been paying attention, this week is a series on misogyny and toxic masculinity. And I put it that way because this isn't about abuse of women. This isn't about survivors of sexual assault. This is about predatory behavior. Rather than talk about it in this passive voice of violence against women, we are going to talk about the violence itself 
and who produces the violence, who is constantly initiating the violence, and that is us, the men. And granted, I am gender fluid, but I do present as a man often, and I am a cisgender man. So let's get into this. Now, the last time I left off with um, the first time I had sexually assaulted someone. And when I talk about this, this is not so women with this very low bar of expectations can send me messages about how amazing it is that I'm talking about this and how open I am. Because at the end of the day, these people experience violence at my hands. So this isn't about me wanting to be seen as a good guy. This is about me saving my life because the shame of what I've done has been trying to kill me for years. <sighs> that being said, so we talked about this drive to win as if having sex uh, for men is a battle and the end goal of any date is sex. And now we're talking about teenagers now. This is, this is, we're, we're way back. You know, I was talking about the first time I had sexually assaulted someone. I was 14. And even though I didn't know it was sexual assault, I knew what I was doing was, I may not have had the word predatory in my vocabulary, but I knew that it was wrong. I knew that it was manipulative. I knew that I was exploiting someone's vulnerability. I just didn't have the wherewithal to add it to some sort of a moral compass because up until that point, it was considered an ongoing understanding that it was the job of men to get women intoxicated in order to have sex with them. And throughout the years in movies, it was always considered the norm. Now, the norm doesn't mean acceptable, but it was definitely tolerated. And it was tolerated to the point of humor. I had a professor tell me a long time ago, um, shout out to Shermaine Jones, Dr. Shermaine Jones at Virginia Commonwealth University. She said to me, when power has nowhere to go, it goes to the erotic. And when looking at teenage boys, looking at adolescents, concepts that are, are taken in are vague and general at best for young men. Subconsciously, we knew that to be a man meant to be powerful, right? Weight rooms, street fights, um, the military. We understood that power was something that was wielded by men. We may not have had the vocabulary that I have now, but we knew to be a man meant to be strong, to be stoic, to be a pillar of strength, to not show weakness. And although these things often are part of toxic masculinity because we take them to extreme, like to what end do we hold back our emotions? To what end um, are we stoic? To what end... Are we strong? When is it, when have we gone too far when it comes to power? Now, these discussions never happened 
in my generation. I'm hoping that they're beginning to happen now, right? With social media being what it is. But we understood that we we were in opposition to everything feminine. Now, if masculinity was considered strong, then femininity was considered weak. So it was this, though problematic, it was a rational leap to overpower girls during sexual encounters. And it was expected by so many young people that that's just how it goes. And I'm sorry for that. That's something that, you know, I have to process over and over again that these things did in fact happen and that I in fact initiated it to happen. I did these unspeakable things that I am speaking about because as men, I'm I'm tired of the excuses. Well, you were young. Well, you didn't know. Well, that's no longer an excuse because we do know. And if our kids don't know, it's our fault. If our students don't know, it's our fault. It's our responsibility to make sure they do know. And it seems like we don't want to discuss sex with kids until they're like 15. And by then it's too late. Like I said, I had already lost my virginity by the time I was 14 years old, which means I was trying to lose my virginity back at 12 and 13. It is no longer, age is no longer the excuse. It's it's no longer acceptable. Well, that's just how things were, is no longer acceptable. I would dare any white person to say, well, that's just how things were when it comes to slavery. I would love a white woman to go, well, that's just how things were when women couldn't vote, when white women couldn't vote. You know, it's we're, we're at a point now where accountability is clutch. Like we as men need to stand accountable because let me tell you something. If you've never sexually assaulted a woman, one, it's possible that you didn't realize you sexually assaulted a woman. And two, you damn well knew somebody that has, but we just weren't willing to call it sexual assault because the shame that comes with it is almost unbearable. I remember having a conversation with a client at uh, Recovery Housing. There was a new man being brought into the facility and a woman who worked for the facility said, we can't bring him here. He sexually assaulted me. And when I found out the details of the sexual assault, basically he had, you know, she wanted to go home and he was like, oh, come on. And he grabbed her hand and put it down his pants. Now, this guy was pretty muscular, um, but there was, from his perspective, there, nothing violent happened. Like, there was no punching, there was no slapping, because as men, being the wielders, the wielders of power and in wielding power, we wield violence. What we consider violence far too often has something to do with bloodshed, has something to do with bruises and 
you know, scars, lacerations, things of that nature. We don't consider, you know, um, something as simple as the words we use to be violent. And that's going to be a discussion for another day. But to get back to what I'm talking about. So I had many a sexual experience since I was a teenage boy. And whether I like to admit it or not, all of them had to do with positions of power. Every girl, whether she wanted to have sex or not, I never asked. And to this day, I'll never know which ones had sex with me because they were afraid not to. Let me, I'm going to say that one more time for men who don't understand. I will never know how many women had sex with me, how many girls and women had sex with me because they were afraid not to. Because we were alone, because it was dark, because, you know, she wanted to get out of there alive. A lot of people talk about fight or flight, but we don't talk about freeze. You know, you see it a lot of times in, you know, movies that have to do with combat. You know, that one soldier that just freezes up or somebody who finds himself at a very, at a place of high altitude and they're afraid of falling and they just grip what they have tight. They, they haven't run. They're not fighting to get away. They just freeze up. The brain just doesn't know what to do in that moment of trauma. And whether men would like to admit it or not, when we're alone with a woman, we're not afraid in most cases. But women often are. And this position of power, some of us know that it exists and some of us don't. Some of us have walked away from a sexual experience. I'm talking about men. Some of us have walked away from a sexual experience like, hey, that was great. And when a woman says she didn't want to have sex, the first thought in my head was you didn't look like you didn't want to have sex while you were moaning, while you were orgasming, while you were whatever. Um, I wasn't holding you in place. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have my hand around your neck. And we as men need to understand that none of that matters. It's the potential for violence that women are often trying to avoid, which is why consent is so important. But consent is not what avoids a sexual assault. Consent isn't a uh, preventative measure. What is a preventative measure is we as men not creating an atmosphere for a woman to freeze. I'll give you an example. I am alone with a woman. We are watching TV. Maybe it's our first date. Maybe it's our fifth. It doesn't matter. But I lean over and start kissing her and start holding her. And she says something to the effect of whoa or hey or wow. You know, not even a no. Let's We're going to remove the word no from the equation. Wow, we're moving kind of fast hey, maybe this isn't a good idea or, 
you know, anything to that effect. Any kind of a reaction other than, yes, other than, let's do this. Because I used to think that it took away from the romantic aspects of sex to talk about sex first. And also, in toxic masculinity, to ask permission is a feminine quality. Let me say that again. To ask permission with a mindset of toxic masculinity is a display of weakness. For a man who thinks he is powerful, um, who thinks he has this upper hand in the situation, for him to ask this person who physically couldn't do anything really to him to stop him, to ask if it's okay, it almost feels like emasculating. And so what? That's what I'm talking about. To see a woman as equal, to see the potential sex partner across from you, if it's homosexual sex, it doesn't matter. To see the partner across from you as equal requires to respect the space between you. Now, these are things that at 50 years old, it's rational and it's obvious. But don't forget, I've gotten a lot of information since then. This isn't some realization that I was born with or came to on my own. This required the work of a lot of women and academics and academes that did the work to really unpack what occurs when two people are together and attracted to each other. When I was 16, I was sexually assaulted. And this doesn't negate anything I've ever done. But I want to talk about it because I was 16 and the person who sexually assaulted me was um, an almost 40-year-old man. And he was very friendly and he was very gentle. And he would, you know, at the slightest uncomfortability, he would back up. And... I was so confused. I had never been on the receiving end of coercion before. And him constantly telling me, it's okay, I won't hurt you. It's okay, I won't hurt you. At that point, in toxic masculinity, I am shaming myself for being afraid. It's just sex. Sex is enjoyable. So what the fuck is my problem? This is what was going through my head at the time. I can remember the colors of the room. I can remember, you know, where he was in juxtaposition to where I was. I remember what I was like. I, I just, God, I remember so much of that moment. And I walked away confused because one, I orgasmed. Twice. And that, you know, in an adolescent mind was very confusing because I didn't think 
that I was attracted to women, but I was curious. And because I was curious and because I was scared, because this guy was a lot bigger than me. I was a thin string bean of a kid. I'm in his house. We drove to his house. I don't know how I'm going to get home without him. This is what he wants to do. We're obviously not going to leave until this happens. So let it happen. And in my head, I said, I mean, it's just sex. Because that's how I was raised as a young man. Raised by other young men having, you know, no real trustworthy male figure in my life to ask these questions. And it wasn't that I had any questions. I never considered being in this position. But I'll tell you what I walked away with. I walked away concerned that I was gay because I did have an orgasm. I walked away telling myself that it couldn't have been abuse because I had an orgasm and because he never hit me. So it wasn't violent. When I hear the word assault, well, I think, you know, bloodshed, swollen face, black eye, a broken bone. So it couldn't have been a sexual assault because all we did was have sex. And I walked away with an unfortunate lesson that every single sexual experience that I have, I need to be the one in control. It changed everything for me. And because this wasn't an open discussion in classrooms and it wasn't something you talk about with your mother. Because again, my mother was the woman who during 16 Candles said to me, well, this stupid bitch, if she was stupid enough to get drunk around all those boys, that's what happens. That's what she gets. So these are the examples that I had to go on. Now, did I sexually assault every woman I ever been with? No, of course not. Were there some? Sure, there had to be. I've had in the range of 150 to 200 sexual partners in my life. Now I'm 50 years old. Many of those times we were both drunk. Some of those times I was sober and they were drunk. I didn't think about what was happening. And here's the hardest part. I didn't think about it because I didn't care. I didn't care to think about it. Because for whatever justification and rationalization I had at the time, a lot of it stemmed back to I gave myself my word that I would never be the vulnerable one in that position. And there was a certain safety in being with somebody who was drunk because I was in control. Now, this does not excuse the behavior at all. But these are the these are the subjects that I have to process. And I guess I'm I'm processing out loud with y'all. And some of you will judge me for all of this. And I've thought about that. I have had some conversations with black feminists I looked up to. 
I still look up to before uh, doing this. And this was tough. Um, I'm petrified to talk about these things. But somebody has to go first. And I want men to have these conversations because sexual assault won't change until men do. This has nothing to do with what women can do to be safe. This has to do with what men can do so that no one is sexually assaulted because over 90% of all sexual assaults are committed by men and for no other reason. It's just pure facts. And false accusations are less than 1%. So can we just do away with this idea that a woman didn't get her way, so now she's crying rape? Like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Do you know how hard it was to tell y'all that I was sexually assaulted 34 years ago? Who the fuck? would want to say they were sexually assaulted last week, two days ago, yesterday, last weekend, with somebody they really liked, especially. This is not easy. There is a weight that I've been carrying over both being assaulted and over assaulting others. And when I say I didn't know what I didn't know, it is also to say I didn't care for what I should have cared about. And that's that's a tough pill to swallow. You know, at some point when slavery was abolished, somebody's parents were slave owners, and then somebody's grandparents were slave owners, and then somebody's great-great-great-grandparents were slave owners, etc., etc., etc. And when a person who is let's say seven, eight, nine, ten generations away from slavery, says, oh, come on, that was back then. What does that have to do with the generational trauma that has come since? So when I talk about being 14 and sexually assaulting a girl, and someone says to me, oh, come on, you were a kid, you were a teenager, When does that end? Because no one spoke to me about it at 14. Nobody spoke to me about it at 15, 16, 17. 17 now, I'm angry. I've been sexually assaulted. I was put in the position that I had put many a girl in before. And though sometimes we had sex and sometimes we didn't, nevertheless, my predatory behavior was never checked. It went completely unchecked. And 17 turned to 18, turned to 19. Now, 19, I'm in college. Am I still a kid now? I went to the military at 18. I was home by the time I was 19 because I didn't last. Am I still a kid? Was I not holding a gun preparing to kill people overseas? So 19, 20, 21, 22, these are all college ages. Am I still a kid? 23, 24, it's still gone unchecked. 25, 26. When I was 40, And a woman told people I had sexually assaulted her. My first reaction was, are you fucking kidding me? We had sex. What is she talking about? And I called her 
to curse her the fuck out. Because who the fuck does she think she is? I stayed the night. We woke up together. And her version was, I bought her a bunch of drinks and, you know, I pushed my way into her house and I said, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. Yes, I bought her two or three drinks, but she was off drinking on her own during some kind of a beer thing. And I didn't push my way into her house. I asked if I could come in. She walked up the stairs. I walked in after her. I wasn't pushing. And when I kissed her, we were sitting on her bed. She made us tea. So she didn't have a problem with me being there. She didn't say anything. Well... We were sitting on her bed and I leaned over and kissed her and she said, this is a bad idea. And I laughed and said, yeah, it is. And I kissed her again. I didn't push her. I asked her permission. I asked, hey, is it okay if I take off your top? Hey, is it okay if I take off your pants? And she took them off. She didn't even say anything. She just took them off. It took me probably six years to unpack that night. I had gone over it over and over and over and over again in my head because, you know, in my head, I'm a nice guy. I wouldn't do something like that. But here's what I didn't consider. She was drunk. Now, mind you, still somewhat lucid, like she wasn't slurring or she wasn't stumbling over herself, you know, but she had had a significant amount to drink. Now, granted, she owned a bar. So drinking is a normal occurrence, and it was for her. And at the time, I was sober. So me saying, well, she probably just doesn't remember it the way I did, but I was the sober one. Nothing happened. And at the time I was saying these things, y'all, I have to tell you, I really believed I was telling the truth. And in the reality that I was living in, I was completely telling the truth. She's crazy. But after six years of unpacking that night, I had to admit to myself that at the beginning of the date, which was around 12 noon that day, we had spent the whole day together. We had gone to the movies. We took walks hand in hand. At the very beginning of that day, I was planning to have sex with her by the end of the night. And I didn't know at the time that that was predatory behavior. But I was well aware at the time that I was being manipulative, sneaky, putting on airs, pretending to be sincerely interested in her. And to a certain point, I was. Like, I really liked her. I thought she was a great person. But at the end of the day, I truly desired the entire day to see her naked. And when it was my last chance to do so, I took it. I took it. And we as men need to be honest about what it looks like, what we think a nice guy looks like. Because the right thing to do, y'all, was when we were at the bar and she said she needed to go home, I should have said, okay, have a good night. Are you okay? She could have caught the cab at the bar, but I jumped in the cab with her. And when she said, what are you doing? I said, I just want to make sure you get home. 
I was in denial about the fact that I was mad that I still hadn't gotten laid that day. All day. I had been putting on this performance all day. This is going to be a hard podcast to post. I don't know what's going to come of it. Um, but I know I won't be able to live with myself until we as men start having these discussions. What I did was awful. What I had done repeatedly to people throughout my past was awful. What happened to me was awful but doesn't excuse my behavior. And it's about time we start acknowledging that. Hey, y'all. Have you ever heard of Old Gods of Appalachia? Well, if you haven't, you have now. Let me tell you. This is a horror anthology podcast. And it is absolutely amazing. They have characters. They have actors. They have different people doing voiceovers. It is so ridiculously dope. Y'all gotta check this out. Um... I'm, I'm like, I'm enthralled. I'm, I, I can't stop listening to it. This shit is crazy. And I got to tell you, all the actors are, they're straight, they're queer, they're black, they're of color, they're male, they're female, they're they, thems, they, thems. They just, this thing is so diverse, man. And, and there's, there's actually some poets involved with this that I actually admire. So this is a big deal. Y'all got to check out Old Gods of Appalachia wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, y'all. Your fam, Black Fluid Poet. Check it out. If you love this podcast, I want to thank you for favoriting the podcast because it means the world to me. However... The way I can get more advertisers is to have more subscribers. If advertisers um, see that um, I have a lot of subscribers, they will be more willing to give me opportunities to advertise for them. So in order for me to get these ads, I need to get to a decent amount of subscribers. So you come here to anchor.fm and you go to support and you can pick 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99. Please feel free to pick 99 cents. I, I I am overjoyed at anyone who wants to support my dream of getting this podcast taking off. You know what I'm saying? So please just consider it. If I could get a thousand subscribers, I could get out of this poverty thing. You know what I'm saying? Because yo, the struggle is real. Y'all take care.